If you would take your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 14. Luke 14, and we will be looking at verses 15 through 24. Have you ever been invited to a a party? Not just any party, but like a really great party. Like the party of the century, you know. It's something that everyone's going to. You know, all your friends are going to be there, and, and you got the invitation, you get to go to this party, and everyone's going around, and you're saying, are you coming to the party? And everyone says, of course I'm going to this party. And everyone says, yeah, I'm coming. And then you meet a friend, and you say, are you, are you coming to the party? And they say, eh, I'm kind of busy that night, I don't think I'm going to make it. And you say, what? Are you kidding me? You're not coming? This is the party. You need to be there at this gathering. And But we've all had experiences like that where maybe we've been invited to these things and we're excited to be there. And some people just aren't really sure about whether or not they're coming. And in this passage, we're going to see an invitation goes out, an invitation to a great banquet, like the great banquet. And there's people that say, I'm coming. And there's people that say, I don't know if I can make it. There's people that think they're going to be there, but maybe won't be there. And so we're going to look at this invitation that goes out and the banquet that we're called to come to. And I think I would just summarize the main idea that Jesus is getting across with a, with a question, which is, uh, you're invited into the kingdom. Are you coming? Invitation is for all. You are invited to come into the kingdom. Are you coming? We're going to look at the passage. Uh, we're going to, I'm going to read it here. And then I'm, I'm going to do things a little different than maybe what we normally do. I'm going to read the passage and try to explain it as best I can. And then we're going to do the bulk of all the application kind of at the end, just so you know where we're heading. Usually I try to intersperse it, but I think it's going to be best if we understand the full passage and then we'll do the application at the very end. So we're in Luke 14, and I want to read from verses 15 to 24. So follow along with me. When one of those who reclined at table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But he, Jesus, said to him, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry. And said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you commanded has been done and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. This passage is, if you were with us last week, it's, you'll notice Jesus has not left the dinner party that he was at. 
Remember, he was at this dinner party with uh, the leader of the Pharisees, um, and the hits just keep coming at this party. There's, there's more and more that needs to be said to those that are there. So he's at a house with these Pharisees. Um, you'll remember uh, some of the passage there, but the, the, some of the similar themes are, we've got a, a parable about a banquet or a feast, which occurred back in verses 7 through 11 as well. So another parable about a banquet or a feast. Um, also, uh, you, you'll notice that um, um, there's an emphasis on invitation in this. The, the word for invited, it, it occurs seven, uh, in verses 7 to uh, 24, it occurs 11 times. So there's this big invitation about, or this big emphasis on invitation. People are being called to come to a banquet That's that occurs throughout this. And then also uh, another tie-in from where we were, verse 13 sp- um, speaks of the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. And Jesus brings that group up again um, in verse 21, the poor and crippled and blind and lame. And so uh, that, that goes with Luke's emphasis. We've seen Luke emphasizing the poor and the outcasts of society through this whole book. And so he's doing that again here. It's just kind of the tie in there, I guess I would say. Now, notice in verse, in verse 5 what this parable is sparked by. I'm sorry, not verse 5, verse 15. When one of those who reclined at table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. So, in light of Jesus' rebuke, he was rebuking the, the pride and the selfishness of those that were present at this banquet. We noticed that in the first part. So he had a word for the, for the guests, and then he had a word for the host. And, and this was, these were not easy words. It was rebuking the selfishness of these people. And so this man, in the midst of that sort of silence that came after the rebuke, calls out, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. It's a beatitude. When I say beatitudes, you probably think about what Jesus says. Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek. And so on. But this man is pronouncing a blessing upon himself. And upon all his friends that are here at this banquet. All the other Pharisees present. He's saying in a sense, well Jesus, however however far short we may fall in your eyes, we are going to eat bread in the kingdom of God. And that's really all that matters. It would seem that he probably feels that he and his friends have been insulted. None of them fit the bill of who Jesus says should be invited, right? The people that should be invited are the blind and the poor um, and those that, that cannot repay the host. And none of them are in that group, and yet they're all at this party. And so he's trying to defend himself, as it were. So he says, none of this matters. Everything that you said, none of this matters as much as sitting in the kingdom of God, which which we will be. We will be there, Jesus. We will be sitting in that kingdom. I imagine him maybe in that awkward silence sort of um, lifting his glass like in a toast, right? Here's a toast. Let's raise a toast, everyone. A toast to us, to we who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. And everyone raises their glasses, except for Jesus. (laughs) Jesus doesn't. He says, I've got another story for you guys. I don't think you've got the point, and so I want to tell you a story. And he tells about a banquet. And notice there, it's a great banquet, and it's a great banquet to whom to, to which many have been invited. In the context, we have to think that this is the same banquet 
that this man was talking about. It's the banquet of the kingdom of God, the, the feast that God has called uh, all his children to. That, that's, that's what this, this has to be. He's speaking of that same banquet that this man was talking about, saying that we will eat at that banquet. And the banquet isn't just one meal, okay? So the, the banquet is representative of, of not just going to this one meal, but rather to, to entrance into the kingdom of God. So Jesus is saying, there was a master, God, who had a huge banquet, and he invited many, many people. Have you ever received an invitation to a party? Kids, maybe you've gotten an invitation to a, a birthday party in the mail. And usually it, it tells you where it's going to be and what time it's going to start. And then there's that part that, has, that says RSVP, which stands for a French phrase, and I don't know if you knew this, but that means please call us, let us know if you are coming or not, so we can make sure we have enough party hats and cake. That's exactly what that phrase means, right, Esther, in French? I think that's what it is. You can ask Esther or Marlene later what it means, but something to that effect. Or we might think about a wedding invitation. So you get a wedding invitation, and there's a little card in there, right? And it says, we need to know how many of you are coming. And we want to know if you want chicken or beef or vegetarian, so that the father of the bride knows how much this thing is going to cost him. Um, the, the, the point of, of these things is they... They need to know how many people are coming so that they can plan for the party appropriately. And in Jesus' day, the same thing would go on. There was a, an invitation that would go out, and that's the invitation that we see in verse 16. This man is giving a great banquet, and he invites many. So there's this initial invitation that goes out in advance of the party. I'm having a party. Can you come? And people will say yes or no. But there was also a second invitation that happened uh, in, the, in that culture in the moments before the banquet. So the day of the banquet, there was a second invitation that would, that would go out. We see this, uh, if you've read the book of Esther, when Esther gives the feast uh, for the king and for Haman, she sends out two invitations. There's one, and then there's the second once the feast is ready. That's exactly what's going on here. Uh, the issue in, in that time is that in that culture, time was, was much more flexible. Um, so on the invitation, there wasn't going to be a specific time as to when to show up because uh, who knows what's going to happen necessarily. And, and, and the host doesn't really know when everything's going to be ready, when all the food's going to be prepared. And so it's kind of like we're going to have a party this day and we'll let you know when to show up. And so the host, in this instance, sends out a servant. In verse 17, you, say, you see that. He sends out a servant to go to everyone who had been invited and who had RSVP'd and said, I'm coming. This servant goes out and says, okay, now's the time. The food is ready. The plates are all set out. Once you guys come over to the master's house, the, the banquet is ready to eat. And so the servant goes out. And he does this, but the servant encounters all these potential guests and each of them that had responded to that first invitation and said, we're coming, now they say, we need to be excused. Uh, the first one says that, that he, um, he can't come because he bought a field and he needs to check it out. Which makes us wonder, did he buy this field without seeing it? I mean, who does that? Wouldn't he have inspected it before he bought it? And even if he hadn't inspected it, couldn't this wait? I mean, the field's not going anywhere, and the party's today, and you said you were coming, so do you really have to do this right now? now the second person's excuse is just as difficult to swallow. He says that he bought five yoke of oxen, and he needs to go check them out. Which, did he not check them out beforehand? 
I think a modern day parable might be something like I, I bought a car and I need to go test drive it. You kind of got those in reverse order. You need to test drive it first, and then you would buy it. And why do you have to do that right now? I mean, you said you were coming to this banquet. The final excuse is a man who says he was recently married. I'm not sure why that's a great excuse. I think the host would say, well, bring your wife. We'd like to meet her. Um, But instead, this man is using it as an excuse not to come to the party. He might be looking to an Old Testament uh, law in Deuteronomy that said when someone got married, they they were to take a year off. They were not to go into the military to serve, but they were to be at home uh, with their wife. Of course, attending a banquet isn't really like joining the army. And so I think he probably could have come. And so all the servant goes out and he hears all of these excuses. And he returns back and... he tells his master that, that no one's coming. I mean, everyone said they were coming, and when I went out, they all gave me excuses and said that they cannot come. Have you ever thrown a party and had no one show up? I have. <laughs> when I worked at Starbucks one time, uh, we had some uh, some of my fellow employees suggested that we all get together for a Christmas party. And I said, well, we could have that at our place. And so Andrew and I planned this little party at our apartment. And the night came for the party, and no one came. <laughs> we sat there. And it wasn't that we lost, that we, you know, we made this food. That was, I, I mean, I'll eat leftovers, no problem. Um, I think it was a bunch of cookies anyways, which, fine, more for me. And, you know, we cleaned the house, and it's always nice to have a clean house. But it's hard when people don't come because it doesn't feel like a rejection of your food or your house. It feels like a rejection of you. I think people had good reasons. I hope they had good reasons. I'm trusting they had good reasons. And part of it was probably my poor planning and inviting. I didn't send out two invitations. Maybe I should have done that. You know, the prior one and then right before, okay, everything's ready. Make sure you can come. But it still felt like a, a personal rejection. And as Jesus lists these excuses for not coming to the banquet, it becomes clear that it's not that the people can't come. It's that they don't want to come. Sure, they could come. They just don't want to. It's like when someone asks a girl out on a date and they say, Sorry, I can't tonight. I have to wash my hair. Have you ever heard that phrase? That's like some sort of classic excuse. I don't know what that means. What it means is, I don't really want to go out with you tonight. And so, in some ways, the rejection of the, of the host's invitation, these are all so absurd, these excuses, that they're weak excuses. And, and in giving them, they're not saying we can't come to the party. They're saying, we don't want to come to your party. We are rejecting you, the host. And who is the host here? The host is Jesus. And who are those that are being invited into the kingdom of God? It's those from verse 15 who raise their glasses to the toast. Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. It's those who have assumed that they will be there, that they will be eating at the, at the, the kingdom table, as it were. But they will not be at the great feast. And they won't, the reason they won't be there isn't because they aren't invited. It's because they don't want to come. Because they have rejected the host. It's similar to what we saw in chapter 13 in, in verses 22 um, through 30, where many people assumed that they were going to be in the kingdom on the last day, and in fact they were shut out. 
But I think in the context, it's not just these Pharisees at this dinner party, but in fact, many Jewish people of that day were included in this group that was being, that was, that were rejecting the host. Many had received the first invitation. We might think of the first invitation as, as the words of the prophets saying that a Messiah was coming. And they all agreed with those. They, they, they were the, the Jewish people were those to whom God had revealed himself in all these different ways. And they said, we're expecting the Messiah. We want him to come. We want to be a part of his kingdom. It was the religious leaders of the day. It was the lawyers of the day. And they had responded to that first invitation. They said, we will be there. And they're waiting for the coming of the Messiah. They're waiting for the Christ. They're waiting for the kingdom to show up. And then John the Baptist shows up on the scene. And what does John the Baptist say? He says, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's Jesus, the the Messiah is right at the door. It's almost time. Tells people that the Messiah is there, the kingdom is coming, and then Jesus shows up. And we see Jesus, you remember in Luke 4, where he takes up the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. And he reads this this prophecy of the coming kingdom and he proclaims, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And everyone is quiet and he sits down and they all look at him and he says, Today this has been fulfilled. Today this has been fulfilled in your hearing. He is saying, like the master of the banquet, Come, now, everything is ready. The kingdom is here. And I am the host, and it's here, and I've inaugurated it. Now is the time. Because the feast of the kingdom is is not only future, but it is present. The kingdom is now. We join in the blessings of the kingdom now. We're promised this future banquet, but we also have a feast now that we partake of in Christ. But, but those who responded to that first invitation now reject this final call to the banquet. And they reject it because Jesus is the host. I think we could look at their various ex- excuses and, and kind of um, say that part of it was misplaced priorities. That they were allowing earthly things to take precedence over Jesus. But, but I also think that as they gave those excuses, that they knew that they were lame excuses. They knew they were no good excuses. And again, it's it, to, in fact, actually in that day, to accept that first invitation and then reject the second one would have been a major insult. And that's just what they want to do. They want to insult Jesus. They want to say, we don't think you are who you say you are. They refuse to trust him above themselves. And they're saying, we value land and we value oxen, and we value our families more than we value you and your supposed kingdom. And it's in light of that insult that the text then says that the master of the house gets angry. That's what it says in verse 21. Then the master of the house became angry. And rightly so. He's been insulted by these people. By, by people that he only wanted to bless. He, he spread out this banquet table. It's Everything is ready. And he's inviting them to come. And they say, we don't want to come. I don't want to come to your party. And, and in, return, in, in all of his kindness, they, just, they reject him. And so he's filled with anger. It's, it's righteous anger. 
It's the anger that God has against the, the sinful rejection of those to whom he offers the blessing of the kingdom and they refuse it and he is angry. And if you find God's anger here, Jesus' anger here hard to swallow, I invite you to read Matthew 22. The first part of Matthew 22 is the parallel. And in that parable, in that parable that Jesus gives, the servants are sent out to say, come to the meal. They are beat up and the master gets angry and then he sends troops to burn their city. <laughs> so that's the illustration that's in that passage. Because it's not a small thing to reject Jesus. It's not a small thing to refuse the kindness of God. He offers us grace and forgiveness. And to reject that, it's an insult. And his anger against that is, is just, it is, it is right against our rebellion, against our rejection of him. What's amazing is that in the midst of his, his anger towards some, the, the door is opened for grace towards others. The, the master of the house says, beginning in um, verse 21, he says, you need to go out now, go, go out to the, to the streets, to the alleys of the city. This is in the city. Go find the blind and the lame and the crippled and the poor and invite them to, to come in. Jesus takes his own advice from the previous uh, passage where that's who he's supposed to invite. And so he says, fine, I'm going to invite all those people and they can come into my banquet. Jesus invites them into his heavenly banquet. He invites them to come and to, to partake of this of this feast. And the servant comes back and he says, there's still more room. And so the master sends him out a second time and says, okay, go out of the city. Go to the country lanes, to the to the highways and the hedges, go to um, outside of the city, to the, the places where there, there were fences, where people would have maybe even slept underneath those things, where wanderers and, and the homeless and the vagabonds of that area, that, that he says, go out and tell them, I want them to come in. Compel them, it says. That, that's the word that, that I have in mind, to compel these people that are outside the city, compel them to come in. That verse has actually been abused throughout church history. Um, the idea is of forcing people to come in. And some have taken it to mean that, that we should force people to become Christians. And throughout church history that has happened, that people have said, you must become a Christian. And, and this is a verse that is cited, which is not Jesus' point. Jesus' point is not that we twist someone's arm until they say, okay, I'll be a Christian. That we force them to recite a prayer, and that therefore they are a Christian. That's not at all what he's saying. Rather, the, the point is that if the Pharisees think they're too good to come to the banquet, then those that are out on the highways and sleeping underneath the hedges think that they're too bad to come to the banquet. This, this servant comes out and says, my master in the city is having a huge banquet and he wants you to come. And they say, I don't think he wants me to come. I don't think I believe you. And so the point is that Jesus is not talking about forced conversions. Rather, he's, he's telling the servant, you need, you're going to have to plead with these people. You're going to have to tell them, please, come in. No, the master, he really does want you. Are you sure? Let me look at the invitation. Yeah, that's my name. on. 
You, you sure he wants me to come? Yes, he wants you to come. He's compelling this person to come. One commentator, uh, Stein, says that, that it's to overcome the, the shyness and feelings of unworthiness of those who are invited. There's people that don't feel worthy to come in, and the servant is to say, no, the master wants you to come. Specifically in this context, these two groups are, are interesting. The first is within the walls of the cities. It's probably referring to Jewish people, um, to those who were not considered maybe the upper crust of Judaism, though. It's not the, the synagogue leaders. It's not the Pharisees or the experts in the law who continually seem to miss who Jesus was. But it's the normal, everyday person who would, who would never turn down an invitation like this. And Jesus is saying, go out to those who some people won't even allow into the synagogue and tell them that I want them to come to my banquet. The Pharisees assumed that they were going to get in. They assumed that everyone else was not going to get in. And Jesus says, no, actually, you're not going to get in. All the people that you have rejected of your own people, they are going to come. And so the the mission of Jesus is always first to the Jewish people. And so some of them must be brought in. But the second group, he goes outside the city. This is even more scandalous because it has to be. It's, it's, I, I'm almost positive. Everyone says this is the Gentiles. That this is those who are not God's chosen people. This is not the, the Jewish people. There are those that had been cast out that were not a part of God's people. And now Jesus is breaking down all kinds of walls. And he's saying, no, I want them to come into my feast. I want them to come in. We're going to see this in full force in the book of Acts where, where the gospel is to go forth. It's to go from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria and then to the ends of the earth. And, and Paul even says, he says, this is the gospel. It's the power of salvation to the Jew first, but also to the Greek. It's to go to everyone. And so invitations to the kingdom banquet are sent all over to all nations and everyone is invited to come in. And then the parable ends with one more sobering word. Verse 24, for I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. None of them who were invited shall taste my banquet. Jesus says, no matter how much they assume that they will be there, they will not taste one bit of the food that is at my table. It's a strong word for those who would presume that religious practice or social status or anything beyond repentance and faith would gain them entrance into the kingdom. He says that they will not come. Let's draw some application then. Hopefully we understand the the parable well. It's a little bit difficult, some of the nuances, but I think there are some strong applications for us. So let's think about this. Let me give you a simple one to start off with. I'm going to quote this directly from a guy named Leon Morris. Comments on this passage. He says, God's purpose may be resisted, but it cannot be overthrown. That's one thing we can learn. God's purpose may be resisted, but it cannot be overthrown. If I throw a party and no one comes, you know what happens? Party's over. (laughs) I've got a bunch of leftovers and no one at my house. And and in in some ways, maybe those who resisted this this second invitation thought that they were going to ruin the banquet. But in God's kingdom, His purposes may be resisted, but they cannot be overthrown. And in this case, Jesus invites others to come in. Those who had rejected him, he invites them to come in. And his, continu- his kingdom continues to go forward. Just a simple thought there. Uh, notice next uh, that faith in Jesus includes love for Jesus. 
faith in Jesus includes love for Jesus. Our response to Jesus is one of repentance and faith. Repentance is a turning to God that involves your head, it involves our hearts, and it involves our our will. In our head, we understand that we are rebels against God, that we have sinned against Him. And, and we understand the evil, how evil our sin is, how rebellious we are against God. In our hearts, we hate sin. But by the power of the Spirit, if, if God is working repentance in us, we see the sin in our lives and we don't like it. And then again, by the power of the Spirit, if we are repentant, we turn from sin and we turn to Christ and we begin to walk in His ways. The flip side of repentance is faith, and it involves the head, the heart, and the will as well. In our heads, we understand who Jesus is. In our hearts, we are filled with a love for Christ, and with our will, we start to follow after Him. True faith always finds joy in Christ. Faith is often illustrated with a chair, like the ones that you are sitting in. Maybe you've heard that illustration before. That you see the chair sitting there, and you think... In your head, I believe that this chair will hold me up. It has all the properties that make me think it's going to hold me up. And you all are sitting down in chairs because whether you knew it or not, you saw that chair and you believed it would hold you up. But when it became real faith is when you sat down in that chair. You, you showed forth that, that you actually believe in it. And so that's, that's the mind. You understand things about who Christ is. But the will is that you actually put your whole trust in Him alone. But do you love that chair? I heard this preached by John Piper one time, and he said, what if you think the chair is ugly? <laughs> is that true faith? Some people believe things about Jesus, and they're willing to, to maybe put their lives into his control, but they don't find him particularly attractive, or beautiful, or worthy of worship, or he, he's not all satisfying to them. The issue of the Pharisees wasn't just that they didn't accept who Jesus was, but that Jesus was in fact repulsive to them. I don't want to come to your party. I don't like you. (laughs) I reject you, Jesus. True saving faith not only is that we understand things about who Christ is and that we desire to follow him, but that we love Christ with all our hearts. The Pharisees loved fields and oxen and marriage and family above Jesus. And he's going to say to us in verses 25 through 35 that, that, that we must love him with all that we are. As we grow in our faith, one of the things that we need to cultivate is not just understanding of who Jesus is and a desire to walk in his ways, but a genuine love for Christ. An affection for Christ that says he is to be desired above everything else in life. That, that the things of life are not more precious than he is. Because when we run after those things, it's as if we are insulting him. It's like we're going to another party. I don't want to come and feast at the banquet that you have given me, Christ. I I think that sin will fill me more. And I love that more. And I love myself more. And I love these things more than I love you. But true faith says that in Jesus, as we sang, he is all in all. He is all that we need. He is all satisfying to us and nothing compares to Him. And growth in Christ-likeness is not just knowing who He is and following Him, but finding Him to be the source of all our joy and satisfaction. That's what faith brings about in our hearts. I think related to that then, so we've 
So faith in Jesus includes love for Jesus. Related to that is that it's only those who see their need who will come. Those who see their need are the ones who will come. To to see Jesus as all-satisfying is to see our need to be satisfied. To recognize that, that I have a desire for things that is not being fulfilled by anything else. So, so the second invitation goes out to people who, who did not need to be convinced that they were unworthy to come to the banquet. It goes out to the poor and the, and the lame and the blind and the crippled. It goes out to the people that were outcast on the outside of the city. And the invitation comes to them and they say, are you sure this is for me? I mean, I need to be there. I, I would love to be there. I just don't think that this is for me. It, it comes to those who see a genuine need for Christ. And so Jesus comes to the, the poor and the crippled and the lame and the blind. And, and that's us. You're either poor, lame, crippled, and blind, or you're one of the people that's rejecting him because you think you have it all together. The only, way, the only people that come to Jesus are people that are poor and people that are lame and people that are crippled and people that are blind. So if you come to Jesus and you think that you're not that, then you're thinking wrong. That's the only people that come to Jesus are those that see their need for Him. We come and we realize, I don't deserve any of His grace and kindness. We should be like the people. That, are you sure He wants me to come? To, to His banquet? I, I'm supposed to come? I, I mean, I don't have anything that I can bring. I, I'm not really worthy to come. But Jesus compels us to come. He says, no, I I love you. I've set my affection on you. I want you at my banquet. And we respond with with joy and with faith. And we come. We say, I I don't have anything to bring, Jesus, but I will come to the banquet. And if we've been compelled in that way, then, then notice another application. We should compel others to come to the banquet. We should compel others to come to the banquet. We should be like this servant. Remember, this isn't forcing people to become Christians, but it's, it's convincing them that Jesus really wants them to come to the banquet. The invitation goes out to all, and we should invite everyone to come to this banquet. Have you ever thought about presenting the gospel as a banquet? Hey, Jesus would like you to come to the greatest meal, the greatest banquet, the greatest party in the world. He wants you to be there. He wants you to be there so bad that He actually sent His Son to die to purchase your ticket to this banquet. That's how much Jesus wants you to come to this banquet. There are people that will hear that and that they will, they will scoff. They say, well, I deserve to be at that banquet. I don't need Jesus to pay for my entrance fee. But then there are people who will see that, that apart from Christ, they, they have no hope of getting into that banquet. That's why he says to go to the poor and the lame and the crippled and the blind. I think that could mean literally <laughs> to go to those that, that are poor and lame and crippled and blind, but it's also to those that, that feel that way, that understand their brokenness. That you come and you invite someone. Come, Jesus wants you to come to this banquet. And they say, I don't think Jesus wants me to come to that banquet because I have a huge debt that I owe to Jesus. I have sinned way too much. There's no way that Jesus wants me to come to his banquet. And so we say, actually, he knows all about that. (laughs) He's fully aware of your sin, and he's paid the penalty for it. He he came, and and you deserve death because you rebelled against him. You you should not come to this table. But but he came, and he 
paid the price for your sin so that there is no more debt between you and him if you would turn in repentance and faith. There will be, so that's, that's not a good excuse. He still wants you to come. Yes, you have sinned, but he has died to make it possible for you to come to this banquet. So that excuse doesn't count. Then someone says, I don't have anything to wear. <laughs> they say, I, I, I don't have anything good that I can bring to Jesus. I don't, I don't have the right clothes to wear. And they say, you know, you're, you're right. You, you really don't have, you don't look the part, but you know what Jesus has done? He also lived the perfect life and he wants to clothe you in his righteousness. And so not only has he paid for your ticket at the price of his blood, but, but now he wants to give you the clothes that you need to wear. No, you don't have to find your own clothes. He says, I'll dress you in my righteousness so that you can be at this banquet and you will look like everyone else and you will look like you belong, not because you do, but because I have made you look like you belong. And someone might say, I don't think there's any room left. <laughs> there's, no, there's no seats probably. I mean, a lot of people have already gone in. There's no seats. And we say, with the servant, there is still room. <laughs> I think that's the point there. That there. There is still room. I don't think that people were rejected and therefore their seats were empty and so now others could fill those seats. I don't think that's the point. I think the point is that there... There's, there's always room. I was reminded as I was thinking about this, of an, back when I was younger in our church, we always did invitations. And one of the songs that they would sing is, There's room at the cross for you. I don't know if you remember that one. They said, Though millions have come, there's still room for one. There's room at the cross for you. And that's what Jesus, there's room at the table. So, yeah, you owe a debt, but Jesus paid that debt so you can come and sit. And and no, you don't have the right things to wear, but Jesus says he'll clothe you in his righteousness. And there's always room for one more. There is room at the table. There's a seat for you. I finally think about the fact that God has invited us to a banquet. That, that, That is what Jesus says the kingdom of God is like. It's like a great banquet that God says, I want you to come to my banquet. I want you to come and to feast. So it's joy now and it's joy forever. So Jesus says, I want you to come to this banquet and I want you to find satisfaction in who I am, in Christ. That that he will fill you up with everything that you desire. He will meet every need that you have. He will be all in all. Uh, that's what we have as Christians, that we have a banquet in Christ where all our desires can be met in Him. But then we have this, this one that we're looking forward to, because the kingdom is, is already, but it's, it's not yet, that we, that we have a taste of the banquet, as it were. We're getting little appetizers, little finger foods that we can have now, but the, the full banquet is coming. And, and one day when Christ returns, He invites us to come to this, to this banquet and we will be with Him forever. That, that's what the gospel invitation is. It's the invitation to a banquet. And if you're in Christ, if you have recognized that you are poor and lame and crippled and blind, if you've come to Him and allowed Him to pay your debt, if you've come to Him and allowed Him to clothe you in His righteousness, then there's a seat at the table for you to come into this banquet. And if you haven't, I, I compel you. I compel you by the love of Christ to, to come. Come. There's a seat left for you. This is what Jesus wants for you. And it's, and it's the place where we find complete satisfaction and joy in Him.
I like to imagine things, and I don't know <laughs> what it will be like on the last day. I don't think anyone knows what it will be like at, at the banquet when we all gather around and we sit around this, this table with, with Jesus at the head. But for some reason, I just think that, that maybe Jesus, just maybe, Jesus might at some point in the meal raise a glass, right? Let's, let's have a toast. And he will say, blessed are those who get to eat bread in the kingdom of God. And that's us. And then we will say, we'll all lift our glasses and we will say, worthy is the Lamb. Worthy is the Lamb. Because He was slain. He purchased it so that I could be here. And I am blessed. But only because worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. Praise God. Let's take a moment of silence and I'll close this in prayer. Lord God, we come as those that are poor and crippled and lame and blind. We come as those that have no right to sit at your table. So we thank you that in Christ our sins have been washed away, our blindness has been healed. You've made us rich, clothed us in your righteousness, and we there's a spot for us to sit. I want to thank you. We have no right to be at the table, but you have invited us. We come to you in repentance and faith. Lord, help us to compel others to come and to sit. Help us to compel others to to find you as their all in all. Lord, help us as we walk through life, not to just believe you in our head and try to follow you with our will, but to love you, God. But to find in Jesus all the treasures of wisdom and godliness, to find in Him uh, that, that He is a banquet, or that we can eat His flesh, as He even said, and drink His blood, and we will never be hungry and never be thirsty again if we find Him to be all-satisfying. Oh, thank You that You have invited us to a banquet. You've invited us to come and to find joy now and joy for all eternity. Lord, we are blessed, but you alone are worthy of worship and praise and adoration. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.